Morning, church. Welcome to the second service. If you're viewing us online, welcome. Welcome to Life in the Sun. Like what Sierra said, if this is your first time, give us a hi. Anyway, my name is Armon, and we are in the series Trustworthy. Yes. Uh, we are actually on the last week for this series, Trustworthy. And that has been really 12 weeks of just reading or going through the book of Isaiah. <clears throat> but yet, even with that 12 weeks, it feels like we've only really touched so little. And uh, when you, if you followed along, if you read through Isaiah, Isaiah is not an easy book to read. It is bec- uh, it's not impossible, but it's just not easy to read. So to help us here, let me show you a, uh, let me bring back God's prophetic plan and just let you know where Isaiah falls. Isaiah falls right there around 760 BC, right? 760 before Christ was born. But yet in his writings, he covers the time that he would, the, the present time that he's in, he's in, in the king, the king, uh, in, the, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. That's what it was, the king 760. But then also it is in the book of Isaiah where we get the more familiar verses for Christmas. For unto us a child is born, uh, a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and we shall call him Wonderful Counselor, all of that. That speaks of Jesus. So that's that timeline. Then he also talks about the tribulation time. And then chapter 2, he also talks about the millennial kingdom. And then he also talks about the new heaven and the new earth. So it's a little challenging to pinpoint what is he talking about. But yeah, it's not easy, but yet it is possible to understand Isaiah. And that's why I said, even though we've taken 12 weeks, it feels like we have not even touched anything yet. And, and saying all of that, it makes me, uh, uh, it reminded me what Ban talked about in week four, how sometimes when we go across scriptures like this, it wrestles with our mind. It wrestles with our faith because we cannot understand it. And sometimes we cannot agree with it. And sometimes that's dangerous. When there's confusion in the word, it can lead to lack of faith. It can lead to, when there's confusion, it can lead you to actually wrong thinking. And it can also lead you to deception. And deception is very dangerous because you're the only, you can believe that it's true, but in reality it's not. So that's why it's important to understand, especially in areas like this, the, because you don't want to be deceived. Amen. So where does, where does all this uh, uh, begin? So we're looking at the book of Isaiah, 66th chapter. We're talking about trustworthy, the covenant-keeping attributes of God, that God made a covenant. And this is what we, we've been looking at. We've been uh, opening the books just to see what his attribute is. So that covenant really here to help you really began with Abraham. 2100 BC, which is now about 4,000 years ago. The reason why we're here in church, the reason why we have the church was because of Abraham. The reason why we can enjoy the blessings of God is because of Abraham. Why? Because in, um, there's a scripture in Ephesians where it says that before you were aliens to the commonwealth of Israel, we did not have a covenant with God. But we now have a covenant with God because of Jesus Christ. When we receive Jesus Christ, we fall under that same covenant that God made with Abraham. The same blessings that spoken to Abraham is what we walked in. And, and Jesus came from the line of David. David came from Jacob. 
or Israel. Israel come, came from Isaac, and Isaac came from Abraham. That's why we exist today as a church, is really because of Abraham. And that's why Isaiah is, look at that year, from 2100 B.C. to 760 B.C. But, and, and that's what uh, we've been going through. So going back to the covenant. So what was it? What was God's first intention when he spoke this, when he spoke to Abraham? Since if, if Abraham was the beginning, so let's go back to Abraham. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 2 and 3, this is, this is what God's intention was. Remember, Abraham was a man chosen by God among everybody in the world. He chose a pagan, meaning a non-believer. Okay? Abraham was not a believer when God chose him. He, he did not know God. He was chosen by God. And then God spoke this to Abraham. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, not through YouTube, not through TikTok, but I can make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. See that? says, I will bless you. That's what God, this is, the, this is the intention of God when he chose Abraham. I will bless you, I will make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. We are blessed so that we can be a blessing to others. And then it goes on to say, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt, meaning I will protect you. That's what God is saying. I will remove the ones that treat you with contempt, meaning who make light of who you are. That's what it means to, uh, to treat him with contempt. When, you don't, when, when they make light of you, I will remove them from your, from, your, from, your, from your path. And then all the families on earth will be blessed through you. So this is where it all began. This is God's intention for Abraham. And this is what God did when he made these promises is that when he made the covenant, that's what he did. He bound himself by oath that I will always keep this promise for you, Abraham. And that's what it meant when God made the covenant with Abraham. He bound himself by his oath to keep this promise that I will bless you, Abraham. You will be a source of blessing. I will protect you and all the families in the world will be blessed. This is where all begin, this is what we've been trying to talk about. All of this, why we're trying to look at the, the, the attributes of God regarding His covenant promise, it is right here. Because God's intention for us is to bless us so that we can be a blessing to first and foremost our family and to the world. So in short, what God really... Uh, so another way to look at it or to simplify it, sometimes the word covenant might be too... Uh, uh, too hard to understand. This is what it is. Next verse. Hebrews chapter uh, 8 verse 10. You find this in Hebrews. You find this in Exodus. You find this in Jeremiah. This is what God really said. I will be your God, Abraham, and you shall be to me a people, meaning all the descendants after you. I will be your God to you, and you shall be a people to me. So what does that mean? When God says that I will be a God to you, when what God is saying this, everything that I am, I will be to you. I will be your provider. I will be your protector. And that's why when you read the life of Abraham, one by one, God always reveals himself to Abraham. That's why one of the things that he revealed himself is, I am God Almighty. I am your shield and your exceedingly great reward because Abraham did not really know God. So in order for God to commit himself to Abraham, God began to show himself to Abraham. I am, I am the righteous judge of the earth. I am, I am the high, high and exalted one. All of that. 
That's, that was God's part, all that I am. And that's why in, uh, who talked about holiness week four? It was Ben, right? Correct? Even that part, I am a holy God. I am jealous for you. Jealousy is a good thing when it is used by God. We look at it in a negative term, but it's a good thing. When God is jealous for you, he will fight to keep you. That's what it means. Because you are his possession, so he will fight to keep you. Amen? That's what the jealousy of God means. And then, of course, one of the things that we seldom talk about is the justice of God. God is just. God is holy. All of that, that's what God said. All of this, the whole, my whole counsel, Abraham, I will be to you. That's what he meant when he said, I will be a God to you. And our part is, then we shall be a people to him. Meaning, very simple. Believe what he has declared and live according to that. That was the, that's the simple, this is the simplified version of what the covenant is. God said, everything that I am, I will be to you. And your part is to believe everything that I have declared and live according to it. That was it. And that's what we've been talking about from, from Isaiah to the coming of Christ to the, the rapture of the church, the seven years of tribulation, the millennial kingdom. All of that is, is going to happen because God made a covenant towards us or towards Abraham, which we are now under. Amen? So, now we find ourselves in another chapter that is perhaps one, just like what Dan said, we might wrestle with. And it has to do with the judgment of God. It has to do with the judgment of God. Before I go ahead and show them uh, the next verse. Here, I'll give you an idea, then I'll come back the reason why. So God's judgment, this is one of God's judgment that fell upon uh, Israel. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 12, this is what it says. The Syrians from the east and the Philistines from the west will bear their fangs and devour Israel. But even then, the Lord's anger will not be satisfied. His fist is still poised to strike. And this is what I mean when sometimes we come across certain passages and we wrestle with it because we cannot accept it. Why would God judge Israel? Why would God allow a nation to devour Israel, to destroy Israel? The word devour is to destroy why would God do that? Didn't you just said, Armin, that God has made a covenant to bless Israel and to make Israel to be a blessing? That's God's intention. God's intention for us is to be, a, to be blessed. God's intention is not to destroy Israel. But why then? The reason for this is because of the way the covenant was cut in the Old Testament. Along with Abraham's covenant, there was another covenant that was added. Okay, it was added. It is called the law, the, law, the law of Moses. It was added because of the arrogance of Israel. So here, let me read to you Deuteronomy chapter 27 to give you an idea what God and Israel agreed. And then you can understand why God is now doing this. So Israel agreed, this, in, this is in the time of Moses, that curse is the one who makes a carved or molded image, an abomination to the Lord, the work of the hands of the craftsmen, and set it up in secret. And all the people shall answer and say, Amen. They all Amen. Moses read this to them, and they said, Amen. Was it week two of salt and light where we, where we, fought, we discovered that what had been happening in Israel in the times of Isaiah was that they have forsaken their people. They have forsaken their land. There was idols throughout the land. They have forsaken, most importantly, their God. They have forsaken Yahweh. And when they forsook Yahweh, they also forsook their covenant with God. So based on their agreement, does God have all the right to do this? 
Yes, I can see the yes, 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 yes. So yes, because they amen. When you say amen in church, what you really tell, when, when, we say, when the preacher say amen and you say amen, what you're really saying is, let it be so. That's why amen on the good parts, don't amen on the bad things, okay? You don't want the bad things. So how does this curse look like to them when they agreed that if we have idols in the land, then we should be cursed? This is what God says in the next chapter. The Lord will bring a nation against you from afar, from the ends of the earth, as swift as the eagle flies, a nation whose language you will not understand, a nation of fierce countenance which does not respect the elderly nor show favor to the young. And they shall eat the increase of your livestock and the produce of your land until you are destroyed. Until you are destroyed. They shall not leave you, they shall not leave you grain or new wine or oil or the increase of your cattle or the offspring of your flock until they have destroyed you. That's how it was, it was to look like. And here we just read the Syrians from the east, the Philistines from the, uh, from the west. And if you know your uh, uh, Old Testament history, then you know that this was not the only nation. The Assyrians came, the Persians came, the Medo-Persians came, the Babylonians came, the Greeks came, the Romans came, all took and destroyed Israel. Even the British was there. But it was also in 1948 that Israel was born. Just a, a different topic altogether. But here, so this is, what, so this is what's happening in, in, Isaiah's, uh, in Isaiah chapter 9. But even this, this is, this is really about 160 years later when, after it was written. So now going back, sorry. So, this, this, so, so who was the innocent party in this covenant? Was it God or was it Israel? It was God. So did God have all the right to bring this to them? Yes. So let's read what God did. So in verse 17, continuing on, it says, That is why the Lord takes no pleasure in the young man. Okay, going back to verse 12, let me just uh, say this. So the Syrians from the east and the Philistines from the west will, will bear their fangs and devour Israel. But even then, the Lord's anger will not be satisfied his fist is still poised to strike. I want you to keep that in mind because that's going to be repeated four times. So the judgment that would come, as, as I read in Deuteronomy, from other nations came. Then in verse 17, that is why the Lord takes no pleasure in the young man and shows no mercy even to the widows and orphans. For they are all wicked hypocrites and they all speak foolishness. This is talking about also their leadership. And here's that praise again. But even then, the Lord's anger will not be satisfied. His fist is still poised to strike. Next verse. Verse 21. It says, Manasseh will feed on Ephraim. Ephraim will feed on Manasseh. These are the tribes of Israel. So now there's a fighting within the tribes. But even then, or and both will devour Judah, but even then the Lord's anger will not be satisfied. His fist is still poised to strike. Then verse 4, You will stumble along as prisoners or lie among the dead, but even then the Lord's anger will not be satisfied. His fist is still poised to strike. When the Bible repeats something over and over again, it means it's serious. And as you can see, it was repeated four times. Even then, the Lord's anger will not be satisfied. His fist is still poised to strike. 
Though God was already judging Israel for forsaking, her, forsaking him, it says that the judgment was not enough. It was still coming because there was still sin to judge. That's what it's saying. God's fist was still poised to strike because there was so much sin in Israel. But remember, God's intention was not to destroy Israel. It was to what? To bless Israel. But because, God's, because of the injustice of Israel, one of the things that we seldom talk about is really the justice of God. So God, in his just attributes, needs to confront sin. Amen? And sin, in the eyes of God, is so serious. It's so serious that, as you can see, he repeated it four times. Sin must be judged. My hand is still poised to strike until sin is destroyed. Then the problem is, here, here lies the problem. The punishment for sin is eternal. But man is not. Well, we are eventually. So therefore, uh, since God's intention is to bless, not to destroy, God came up with a plan so that he can be faithful to his covenant to bless. Are you getting me? And this is where we can see him as a trustworthy God. His intention is to bless. But the, the covenant people keeps failing. The covenant people keep sinning. So in his faithfulness, God devised a plan. If all that God has is justice and holiness and no love, no grace, no mercy, we would all be destroyed. If you remember the days of Noah, it says that, that when God destroyed the earth, what God said was that every intention of the heart of man was evil continuously. It didn't say every action. It says every intention of his heart, meaning everything that he thinks about is evil and it is continuous. It was only by the grace of God that he kept Noah. And that's why the Bible says, and Noah found grace in the eyes of God. That's the only reason that Noah was spared was because by the grace of God. Amen? But God's intention is not to harm nor to, nor, nor to destroy, but his intention is actually this. Go ahead, next verse. His desire for Israel is that when all this judgment comes, in his faithfulness, <clears throat> he says, in that day the remnant left in Israel, the survivors in the house of Jacob will no longer defend on allies who seek to destroy them, but they will faithfully trust the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. God was looking for repentance. That's what God was looking for. God, when he brought the judgment, that's why it was in faces. It was for judgment that came after the other because God was looking for, for them to repent, to turn back to him, to faithfully trust in the Lord. That's what God was uh, doing. That's what God was using judgment for. And, and in his judgment, his grace was also shown that he would always keep a remnant. God, if God were to destroy mankind for the evil of his heart, we would all be destroyed. But in his faithfulness and his grace, he would always leave a remnant. I don't want to say a leftover, but it's, it's almost like that. He would always preserve, there you go, that's a better word. He would preserve a group. In, in, uh, in, in the same Bible, in the same uh, book, it actually call, he calls it a tithe, a 10% of the people. So this is what God's intention and desire was when he started bringing the judgment so that they would come back to him. They would repent. And it says that a remnant will return. Yes, the remnant of Jacob will return to the mighty God. The problem is, church, and we know this, this is the truth, the heart of man is evil, period. 
You can say, oh no, I only do, do bad things a little bit of a time. No, no, from the beginning of the word, it says that every intention of the heart of man is evil. Jeremiah speaks of the same thing. The heart is deceitful above all things. That is really the problem. The heart of man is evil. The heart of man is simple. So how can God then keep his blessings upon us when he made that covenant? So God devised a plan so that sin and the heart of man can be changed. And once and for all, God will be faithful to his covenant. And what is the plan? If you're in church, the answer is Jesus. Isaiah chapter 53. God is so serious. Go ahead, show them Isaiah chapter 53. God is so serious with sin that he brought judgment over and over Israel, hoping that they would repent. So I want you to realize that because the same seriousness that God took on the sin of Israel is the same seriousness he took when he put Jesus or when, when Isaiah prophesied about Jesus. In verse 50 or in verse 4, this is what happened to Christ. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for, all, for his own sin. No, Jesus had no sin. So the one that he went through was ours. In verse 5 it says, But he was fierce for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so he could be healed. Crushed for our sins. If Jesus was not crushed for our sin, then we would be just like Israel in the days of Isaiah. We would have to go through it, that same destruction. And then all of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. And that's what Israel was doing. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Next. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cost him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hand. Jesus was the one where all our sin was placed upon and it was in him that it was crushed. He was crushed. Remember that four verses that I read to you? It says that though all of the judgment was coming, God's anger was not satisfied. His fist was still poised to strike. The word is his anger was not satisfied. It was only in Jesus that the anger of God that deserved and the punishment for our sin was ever satisfied. And that's why Jesus was able to say, it is finished. It is done. He meant that all the punishment that sin deserves, all the condemnation, all the judgment that sins deserve was finished. I have absorbed it all. And after that, God was satisfied. So that's why now in the next, where uh, in Isaiah 54, it says God is no longer angry. In, a, in Isaiah 50, uh, in, in what we've been reading, his anger was not satisfied. But in 54, it says here, just as I swear in the time of Noah that I would never again let a flood cover the earth, so now I swear that I will never again be angry and punish you because Jesus has absorbed all the punishment that our sins can take. Amen? Today, church, that's why we can walk in peace with God. We can walk in forgiveness because the punishment that we're supposed to take, just like Israel, 
was taken upon by Jesus. All in the book of Isaiah. Amen? So that's why God is no longer angry. It says, and he swear. God doesn't need to swear. You understand that? But he has to, he swear just so to allow you to understand that I will never be angry with you again. The same justice, here's the justice of God. The same justice that demanded sin to be punished in the days of Israel is the same justice that is working for us that we can never be punished again. Because the sins that we have or we had or we will have has already been punished in Him. Understand? That's the same justice. That's why justice is on our side now. The justice of God is actually on our side now. We can never be punished again because Jesus has already been punished. For the mountains may move and the hills disappear, but even then my faithful love for you will remain. My covenant of blessing, beginning from Abraham, will never be broken, says the Lord who has mercy on you. Amen? That's why today, church, we can tell the world this, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19, that now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Because through Jesus, we can now be reconciled to God. We don't need to be afraid. Because his anger has been satisfied. Amen? Now you can say amen to that. Amen? Okay. That is that, that, is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the, world, the word of reconciliation. That is what we're speaking to the world today, church. That God is no longer, when we say God is no longer angry at them, it is because God has done it righteously and justly. It is true. It's not a makeup thing that we tell people that God is not angry with them. It is true to the word of God. It is true to the action of God the Father, God the Son. That all the sins that we deserve, all the punishment, the condemnation, the shame, the guilt, you name it, the curse that was placed upon them, God, Jesus is taking it all. And that's why one of the things you, you, you see, or uh, what is mentioned in the New Testament is, He has fulfilled them all. Amen? And that's why we can rejoice today. So just to end, let me share with you a testimony regarding this. We can tell people that their sins is no longer imputed on them. I was saved back in 90, 1997. I gave, my Lord to the, I gave my life to the Lord in 1997. I have been faithfully <laughs> following Him. It's not the most exciting thing, and He said it uh, to me. But I, I stayed when He said stayed. Uh, I'm going to build you. I, uh, so I allowed Him to build me all the, uh, everything. For, for more than 20 years. So, so, and what was his intention? To bless me. I have seen the blessings of God in my life as I continue to follow him. But the second part of that promise that God said is that you would also be a blessing to others. Who, first and foremost, to your family. Uh, this week, I have one of my highlights of my Christian life, but yet it was also a sad moment. We had to send our mom, our mother, to the hospital on her birthday. She is about, I think she's 88 years old. She wouldn't tell us her real age. But she's about 88 years old. She's very frail, very weak. So, we sent, uh, so she, on her birthday, she went to the, uh, to the hospital. And as I was praying for her, what God told me is that read scripture to her. Every time you visit her, read scripture to her. So I did. So every time I would visit her, I would read scripture to her. One of my first scripture was Psalms 23. And I had to read it in Tagalog. And it was very challenging for me. 
Then on Wednesday, I was reading Psalms 145. So I said, Mom, this is, you know, I read to her and she was uh, half asleep, half awake. So Mom, uh, did you, do you hear me? I said, so based on what I, based on what I just uh, read, it says that God is good, that all his ways are good, that if we call upon him, he will not turn us away. And that's what that means. God is now not uh, imputing their trespass against them. If we call upon him, he will, be, he will receive us and he will save us. Wouldn't you want that? So wouldn't you want that, mom? And she, she nodded, yes. So mom, so this, okay, if that's the case, then let's call upon him. Let's call upon him to save us. So okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray and you follow me. But yet I said, I, then, then later on, I feel like she's really weak. So okay, instead what you do is I will pray. And when I end my prayer, you say amen. And when I say amen, and when you say amen, that means that whatever I prayed, you also prayed. Okay? And she said, okay. So I prayed. Lord, thank you for her life. Thank you that in this life that you have shown goodness to her, and now I, re- uh, and I receive what you have done for us. Basically, I led her to, the, uh, to receive Jesus, to call upon him for salvation. And when I said amen, she said amen. So the blessing that I have been walking with is also a blessing to my family. And that's why God's covenant promise to us is that I will bless you so that you can also be a blessing to your family. And the greatest blessing that we can give to our family is really what? Salvation. For, you, for them to live eternally. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Are you blessed, church? Just go ahead. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. I know Elmer asked us earlier to come up to the front and, uh, and to minister to you, but I think we forget to pray for you. So let me just pray for you. If you came up to the front earlier, earlier whatever it was that your heart was desiring to, to uh, ask from, from God, just uh, stay in your seat. Just raise up your hand one more time and I want to pray for you. Father, thank you. Thank you for this man and women. Thank you for the church. Thank you for the people that you have right here. And I just pray, Father, in the name of Jesus, that whatever it is that's in their heart that's been bothering them, whatever it is that's in their heart that's been keeping them down, whatever doubts that's been trying to creep and whatever it is the enemy has been trying to steal from them, in the name of Jesus, I just pray, Father, that, Lord, you remove that. And we speak the promises, even that very promise that you have given to Abraham. Lord, bless them. Lord, keep them. Let your face shine upon them and be gracious to them. And Lord, protect them as they go today. And I pray, Father, for those of them that's even saying that, Lord, I, wanna, I want more of you in my life. And I pray, Father, that, Lord, you would open, open, Father, the opportunity for them to know more of you, just like you did to Abraham that you begin to open and remove, Father, those veils in their eyes, the veils in their hearts. And I pray that you would even open their ears to hear your voice, not just the word from the word or the, your voice from the word, but even a voice from within the dreams and the visions. So, Lord, in the name of Jesus, I pray for them. In Jesus' name. And, Lord, I just even pray for our service. I pray, Lord, that you protect us. You continue to just protect us from this virus. And I pray, Father, Lord, as we, as we go back, may we tell the world that, the, that God is no longer angry with them, that, the, that He is no longer imputing their trespass against them. 
So Lord, have your way. Continue to show yourself to us. Continue to, to just allow us, Father, to see you more and more. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're dismissed, church. And I'm rising up with you. Elevated